Today, we're talking to Karan Kusama, the director of the new movie, The Invitation. This is WSJ Speakeasy, your source for entertainment, pop culture, celebrity, and the arts. Hey, this is Christopher John Farley, a senior editor at the Wall Street Journal. Today, we're talking to Karan Kusama, who is the director of the new movie, The Invitation. Karan, thanks for talking to the Wall Street Journal. Thank you so much for having me. So this movie has been getting rave reviews. I'm, I'm, I'm an obsessive checker of Rotten Tomatoes, and I see that it's re- <laughs> the, the, the critics have really fallen in love with this film so far. And I'm wondering, how would you describe this film? Because it seems to draw from a number of different kinds of genres. I think that's true. It is sort of a, a crossbreed of, of a few genres. I mean, I, I think it's an emotional drama. I think it's a psychological suspense film. I think eventually it becomes a, 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 a straight-ahead thriller. Um, it's, it's definitely operating on a, on a couple different sort of narrative levels. And, okay, so the plot of the film, I'm not going to give too much away. Uh, the plot of the invitation mm-hmm. is it's a guy who gets an invitation to a dinner party that turns out quite different from uh, what he may have expected. And uh, that's pretty much all you can say, I think, out front. And what I find interesting about that setup is the fact that, um, you know, so many Hollywood movies today give away the whole game in their trailers or in the build-up to the marketing how do you keep yep. a film like this, um, how do you keep it secrets before people see it? Oh, gosh. I mean, it's, it is such a challenge, and that's a really good question. I, I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that we do live in a culture where we sort of are, are given stories to us, sort of force-fed uh, all of the salient points before we even experience them. And so it was a real challenge just because it's a, it's a more traditional, it's a traditional way to market things now, I guess, to just sort of give the whole story away. And, and we knew that, that, that the most interesting kind of way to see this movie is, is to still be surprised by it and to still feel like you're, you're having to engage with it and, and sort of pose, pose questions um, to the film itself while you're watching it. And so... We're lucky. We're working with a distributor who's really uh, Draft House Films, who who are really committed to trying to preserve that mystery, while also giving audiences the sense that you know they are in for a satisfying emotional thriller, um, something that you know sort of unfolds like uh, a, a, a breakup drama and um, escalates to something. Uh, extremely visceral and 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 kind of almost more in the horror thriller genre. It seems to me that maybe films cost so much these days that there's so much marketing pressure to tell all just to get people into the theaters. I mean, I saw Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice recently, and I was just struck mm-hmm. by, geez, everything in the film was already pretty much in the trailers. And then I saw Ten Cloverfield uh-huh. Lane, and they managed to sort of keep some of their secrets. And I thought back to when I was a kid and I saw Alien for the first time, and they didn't oh, yeah. show you the alien first, and so when you saw the movie, you were you were genuinely surprised and shocked and horrified and on the edge of your seat to see mm-hmm. where it would take you. And I thought, geez, why can't movies sort of retain some of that today instead of giving it all away on social media? 
It, and, and, you know, it's interesting because you're, you're talking about the marketing for modern films, but, but in bringing up a movie like Alien, in which, you know, you watch the main characters sort of work and behave for about 45 minutes before anything truly scary even happens, I think it's, it's not just the marketing that's, that's, that's sort of giving the story away these days. I, I actually think it's the films themselves. There's so much pressure to, um, to kind of beat the audience to the punch somehow and, and, and sort of front load the, the action, the scares, the laughs. The, it, and, and, and in a funny way, I think that that can sort of work against itself, that structure. I think sometimes audiences are craving just kind of settling in and, and getting familiar with like sort of the language of the film that they're watching so that when stuff really does start to happen, they're a little more invested in it. Or, or at least that's how I feel about movies. Yeah, and seeing The Invitation, I was also really struck by the fact that it does a tremendously slow burn. That's not to say that the movie itself mm-hmm. is slow, but it reveals its secrets on its own time and doesn't you know, mm-hmm. front load them in the movie. And did you face any kind of pressure from people around you, from producers, from who, who knows who, to sort of uh, mm-hmm. front load it more? Well, I mean, I think there was a point at which we were trying to get the film made in the very, very early stages, and we were looking for the right partners to be financers for the film, where, you know, we, we would kind of know that we were working, we would be working with the wrong people if, if they said they want more stuff to happen earlier. Um, because, because we always understood that the film we wanted to make was very much... Uh, invested in this idea of taking the time to get to know the characters and uh, see a lot of characters point of view before um, before the action literally escalates um, we, we always knew that was what we wanted to explore with this film so while there might have been pressure it never ended up coming from the people we decided to work with now the film itself in terms of its release also did sort of a slow burn because, of course, it premiered uh-huh. at South by Southwest in March of 2015. It's now finally yep. getting released on April 8th, and it'll be in theaters and on video on demand. Uh, what took so long? Well, you know, it's it's an interesting thing with movies like these. Um, they need a, they need, I think, a little bit of lead up, and they need to be placed in festivals. It's 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 an interesting time because. There are those movies that sort of um, advertise themselves and put themselves in the public consciousness in about three weeks before they're released or four weeks before they're released, and they spend a tremendous amount of their marketing budget on ads on television and um, print ads. And, 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 you know, our release is, is much more homegrown than that. This is like a person-to-person person business making indie films and releasing indie films and so we knew we had it we had time as our resource to get more people seeing the film get more people talking about the film so that hopefully when it does open on friday there's there's a desire to get out there and see the film in theaters um and in and in those places where it's not playing at home on vod um you know i feel like Littler movies just need that time to sort of get themselves into the public, you know, consciousness. Now, of course, the best genre films work on two levels. 
on one level, they're just a pure, fun popcorn film that you recommend to friends and you have a great time seeing. Then there's also a level of social comment where it's saying something about the times. And I'm wondering, with this film, it seems like there's also that second level going on. What is your film saying beyond the the thrills and the the intrigue? Uh, That's a great question. And, And, you know, for me, I just feel like the film is really an investigation of people in grief, people in, in, in a state of, of sorrow. And I think, I think what I wanted to explore in the movie was this idea that even though grief and discomfort and sadness are very uncomfortable states of being and, and we, 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 we don't want to be in them, it's important that we experience them. And so what does it mean to live in denial? What does it mean to deny your grief? What does it mean to sort of shut those feelings down and try to replace it with a kind of false, um, a sense of of false serenity? Um, I think there are terrifying possibilities that spiral off of trying to ignore the pain we're in. And, um, you know, that's what's interesting about where we are right at this moment, I, I think, you know, I feel like day after day I listen to the news and it's about sort of our national painkiller epidemic and opioid epidemic. And so much of that is about putting ourselves out of the pain we're in. Well, sometimes it's not that easy. And uh, this is about the, the terrifying consequences of thinking it ever could be. Well, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back with Karan Kusama. Hi, I'm Paul Vigna. If you do not subscribe to the Money Bee podcast, you are going to feel worse than a short seller on the day of a big rally. Go to iTunes and WSJ.com slash podcasts. You want to sign up for this one. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Hey, this is Christopher John Farley, a senior editor at the Wall Street Journal. I'm here talking to Karen Kusama, who is the director of the new film, The Invitation, and one thing I thought about when I was watching this film, which you directed, is all the controversy that was going on at the Oscars this time around. The fact there were mm. so few people of color represented among the nominees. Also talk mm-hmm. about you know what female directors, whether they're getting a shot. What were some of your thoughts about the Oscars? You know, since you also you're one of the few female directors out there, and also the fact that you do have a Japanese American background. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I was on a job when the Oscars happened, and I have to say um, I didn't even watch it. Uh, I wasn't really all that interested. Um, and I think, you know, perhaps that's, that's sort of, that's perhaps the thing that disappoints me most at times about these big award shows is if, um, you know, if the same five or six films get all of the attention, it, 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 makes it harder to sort of celebrate all of the great things that have happened in cinema this year. Um, so I have to say um, uh, maybe the bigger crime this year was that I was just kind of bored by it. Um, you know, it's interesting, the diversity and representation question, it just remains, it remains a vital one. It remains something we have to pay attention to. And um, Part of it just starts with, you know, each of us as individual filmmakers, you know, making decisions to put more kinds of people in front of the camera and more kinds of people behind it. And, of course, you know, uh, there's been lots of talk recently about 
comic book movies and superheroes, and there, there are very few female superheroes that have made it to the big screen. There's Wonder Woman coming up. And, of course, back in 2005, mm-hmm. you were ahead of the trend when you made Eon Flux. And I'm wondering, what is mm-hmm. your take on the difficulties in bringing a female superhero to the screen? Did you face any kind of institutional um, barriers that you had to break through? And are you, um, are, are, are you surprised that there haven't been more big screen female comic book heroes in their own solo films? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm always surprised by the business because so frequently what the business seems to miss is something we as audiences already know, which is that women and girls go to the movies <laughs> and um, want to see versions of themselves up on screen. So I'm always surprised when there aren't more of that, more of those characters up on screen. That being said, I'm also less, um, I want to say, personally or emotionally or creatively invested in the superhero tropes. Um, I find them a little bit too, um, I want to say, uncomplicated for me. I, I, I tend to believe that humanity is far more complex than a lot of the versions of humanity that I see up on the screens, at least through that superhero lens. Um, But if you want to look at what superheroes are and discuss sort of what they seem to represent, I think they often represent this notion of of a kind of mythical chosen one, a person or a uh, a, you know, an ordinary individual who's sort of gifted with a power almost beyond their control or a power that they don't always even understand they have. And, you know, a, a modern take on that would be something like like Neo in The Matrix. You know, he's the one. And I just think we do have a cultural resistance to... Um, allowing a woman be the one, the one with power sort of outside of even maybe her own control, the one who's granted the gift from the universe of um, incredible skills and incredible mastery over um, over some kind of, you know, sort of uh, special power. And that's what made something like the latest Star Wars kind of interesting to me was that, oh, okay, a girl is getting to be the one. Um, I think we should have more than one girl get to occupy that space in our cultural imagination, but I also think we should be questioning the notion of the one in general, if that makes sense. Yeah, and of course you have this movie, The Invitation, coming to theaters and video on demand, but you've also done a lot of work in TV on shows like The L Word and Billions and Mm -hmm. The Man in the High Castle. And with so many choices, mm-hmm. really creative choices happening in the world of TV and streaming services, how do you think doing work on those kinds of projects compares to TV? Do you find there's more creative fulfillment in some of these sort of long-form television projects, or is film really still the home for you? Um, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's, um, in the end, television... Uh, while more and more great TV shows are working with feature directors um, and are creating a really great home for them, and I definitely feel like a home has been made for me on a bunch of the shows that that I keep working on. Um, Overall, though, it is still, um, it is not a director's medium. It is ultimately 
um, the creative province of its writer-producers. And so I liken the TV work that I do to sometimes training with the best coaches for, you know, a major cycling event um, at a very high altitude. I kind of see it as great, um, a great way to stay muscular and to uh, sort of almost like being in, in, in an, a language immersion program where I'm sort of learning the language of somebody else's vision and attempting to, you know, sort of execute it with truth and some kind of authenticity to myself. Um, I think there's plenty, there's great stuff going on in television, and that's why I'm going to keep working in it. Um, but I think for sure my creative heart is, is just in the like long game of of making features. Okay, well we've been talking to you, Karen Kusama. She's the director of the new film, The Invitation, coming to theaters and video on demand on April eighth. Karen, thanks a lot for talking to the Wall Street Journal. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Christopher. I really enjoyed it.